It's Six Pack Double Feature. Two friends, two movies, two mics, and too many drinks. They watch, they drink, they talk, and you listen. The guys hang out their shingle and try to crack a pair of real whodunits with Murder by Death and Clue. Will be Nathan in the study with the revolver or Travis in the billiard room with the candlestick? Maybe other way out of room. Secret passageway. Wrong. There are no secret passageways, Mr. Wang. You spoke? No. Not me. I spoke. Ah, fair. Voice come from cow on wall. Moose! Moose, you imbecile! Where are they? What have you done with the others, you short madman? Aha! Stumped already. Need some clues, Monsieur Perrier? Clues? I need no clues from you. I find my own clues, you demented lollipop. Calm yourself. Man who argue with car on wall is like train without wheels. Very soon get nowhere. Oh, be quiet. I'm sick of your fortune cookies. Oh, man who is sick of fortune cookies. Didn't you didn't hear what I just said. I just said I was sick of fortune cookies. I'll talk again. In need of a hint, Miss Marbles? You all mistake what you assume. They never left the dining room. Count the numbers one to ten. Turn the knob and try again. <laughs> what the devil does that mean? They'd never left the dining room. Certainly they did. Do not mistake what you assume, Miss Marble. Quick, back out in the hall. What for? We assume others not here, but Carl say they are in dining room. Let us look once more. Let's go, Charleston. <laughs> What do you make of all of this, Wayne? It's confusing. It, it is confusing. Say your goddamn pronouns. Oh. I was hoping that would be the end of that one. That's, that's my favorite, is when <laughs> Twain from inside whatever little robotic machine disguise he tries to correct Wang's grammar oh man ah it's six pack double feature I'm Travis I'm Nathan and we're here to talk about two sort of whodunits some well actually they're literally whodunits they're they are satirical whodunits because it's a play on the whodunits but they are different as much as they are alike right and those movies are the uh, first one we're going to do here, which is Neil Simon's 1974, I think we agree, classic, Murder by Death. And later we're going to talk about Clue. Um, so full, full disclosure here, uh, when we decided to revamp or redo this series, um, we came up with the format and some movies we wanted to watch. And this, was, this one was very near and dear to me because I love both of these movies, um, Mystery Solved. But... This was the first one. These were the first two movies that I sat down and watched. So my notes and my formatting may be a little different than normal. So bear with us um, <laughs> as we as we go through it. Um, but I think I think there's enough repetition of the last several episodes to to kind of keep me in check. <laughs> it's it's my fault, is what it is. Um, well, that's what I was thinking. So. What, what are your first impressions of this movie, Nathan? Had you seen this movie before? Oh, yes. I grew okay. up with this one. Oh, me, me Un- too. Yeah. Unlike Clue, though, I didn't see Clue until I was I didn't older. see Clue until about 20 years ago on Comedy Central. Yeah. No, I grew up with this one because the it's a, it's a family favorite. My sister and I love this one. My dad loves it. My mom most likely loves it as well. But yeah, this one's a family favorite. This one I've watched many times. Many a time... So it's a it's a Neil Simon. If you're not familiar with Neil Simon, he's very I I can't even come up with a word for him. I put him in league with like if the Earth were to be destroyed, and we're like you need to put some of the best classic filmmakers on a rocket ship and send them into modern. Let's say modern classic. Send them to a safe place. I would put Neil Simon on a ship with Woody Allen and Steven Spielberg and maybe Tarantino. And probably some others I'm not thinking of. His work just is there's a humanity to his work. There's a it's satirical, but it's there's a I don't know, there's a human element that, that whether he intends to or not sneaks through. Yeah. Um Well, and it makes sense too, because when I was watching this movie, it reminded me a lot of Mel Brooks. Yeah. And I can here's see that. the thing, and the reason why it 
kind of does is because they all work together as staff writers for Sid Caesar's show, Show of Shows. Your show of Shows, yeah. So he worked together with Mel Brooks, Neil <gasps> Simon, um, Carl Reiner. Sure. Woody Allen even worked as a staff writer. So there, there is that connection that they're all... Wow. Now, that was one of my bits of trivia. Was that's a great bit of trivia. Watching that one, it was like watching, kind of watching a Mel Brooks minus the bathroom humor. Usually, yeah, yeah. There's not as much of. There's that. a little bit, but not as Mel much. Brooks has more on that. Yeah, but there's definitely that that humor that's there, and there's that similarity, and that's why I enjoy it so much. Like there's too. some there's some good wordplay. Like you said, there's a little bit of bathroom humor, but not much. There's it, it's 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 wordplay, and it's also based off uh, the viewer's knowledge, or it, you don't even have to really have foreknowledge of the characters that are being parodied in this. But they're parodies of all the old classic detective serials or, or yeah, movies. specifically like Agatha Christie, Miss um, um, Marples, uh, Miss Marples, and um, Charlie Chan. Uh, Charlie Chan was done. Uh, let me see here. Nick and Nora Charles, uh, Hercule Poirot. Yeah, Poirot was the was another Agatha Christie, and then Dashiell Hammett's was the uh, the play on um, the Tall Man, Dick and Dora. Tells yeah. me, yeah, the Tall Man. Um, <coughs> and Sam Spade, of course, famously. Yeah. Oh, obviously, done by uh, Peter Falk, who actually went on to play another detective later on, uh, being Columbo. Not a bit of trivia. You should probably know that. If you're listening to this, you probably do. Thanks, Mom. Um, <laughs> um, I, I, the first time I saw this movie was in a hotel room, either 1993 or 94. Um, I was a page at the state uh, representatives thing in Indianapolis, and my parents made a day of it. And we went down the night before and got a hotel room or whatever. It was like a Sunday night, and I was sort of excited and couldn't kind of sleep and go to bed at my normal time. And it was on, and my dad, the I used to always say my dad doesn't like any movie that doesn't star John Wayne or isn't a Western, but so many of these have had some sort of influence from my dad in it, and he freaking loves Poirot. And this movie came on, and he'd seen it somewhere before, and he was like, oh, cool. And my dad just put it on to go to sleep, and I watched it, and that was my first introduction to it. And it stuck with me ever since. It just, it's got like a... Sort of like a '70s freak out feel to it in some spots. It's kind of, kind of Willy Wonka esque. They try to make it seem as timeless as possible, but when um, when Twain shows up with all the flashing lights, psychedelic yeah. lights, yeah. it very much felt like late '60s, early '70s. Outside of a few moments here and there, they do a very good job though of still making it feel. Fairly timeless. Yeah, fairly timeless. Very like it's set in its period, so it doesn't feel anything other than it's. I'm gonna pause us. I'm gonna pause us there real quick because we clearly we're excited about this one, and um, we've skipped over what uh, what we're having to drink today. <laughs> um, well, <clears throat> I'm having Tecate. Mm-hmm. Some Mexican beer. Nice. Yeah. I uh, in keeping with the sort of loungy sort of timeless fancy dinner party theme type thing I'm having a uh, I'm having a nice glass of Belmead bourbon here which if uh, you know anything about me it's the only bourbon that or quote unquote bourbon that I allow in my house that is not made in southern Kentucky that's that and back to the movie (laughs) (laughs) Uh, let me see here what did I put down Uh, murder by death is a satirical murder mystery comedy that brings five of the most renowned literary detectives of the early 20th century together by invitation for Dinner and a Murder by the wealthy and mysterious Lionel Twain, written by the notorious playwright and four-time Oscar-nominated screenwriter Neil Simon, whose most famous works include The Odd Couple, The Goodbye Girl, and Lost in Yonkers. Uh, Simon was inspired to write this screenplay from his youth when he spent countless hours reading the mystery novels by the likes of Agatha Christie and Dashiell Hammett or Dashiell or however it is now supposed to be pronounced. I think we've all been potentially pronouncing his Mr. Hammett, wrong, but Mr. Hammett, among others, uh, the script, which was surprisingly not adapted from one of his plays, 
came to life from the mind of a 16-year-old boy fueled by his frustrations of inferior novels that introduced characters and clues which were revealed very much to the surprise of the reader in the past in the uh, last five pages of the story. It's full of uh, all the old familiar tropes. They're not, and that's what's that's what's the best thing about doing a parody or a satire. You can you can roll the tropes out of the closet, and they're not seen as tired, right? Because you're you're sending it up with a loving manner. You're not trying to make it new. You're just you're just keeping in tone, but. Yeah, they they run out of gas, and there's a rickety bridge. It's stormy. It's foggy. Um, there's all that cool backlighting or that uplighting. Yeah, it's Especially a satirical love letter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One thing I did notice is that, and if you watch a lot of other movies, Peter Sellers is really okay with playing broad racial stereotypes. <laughs> <laughs> Which I it guess was, in the seventies it was okay. It's not in as, the sixties. It was definitely okay still. And um, <laughs> the uh, but I I'll, I'll be honest with you though I love his character. Well, he's 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 I, just doing a parody of a character. He's doing a, a parody of a, a character. A but the fact character. that he's a white man playing a Chinaman. Yeah, um, he's a white man playing a man who is Asian descent, and it's horribly I mean, stereotypical. We could do a whole we could do a whole podcast of what a soulless bastard Peter Sellers was, or you could just watch the Jeffrey Rush movie, The Life and Death of Peter Sellers, and sort of suss that out for yourself. Have you seen that? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I'll let you borrow it. It's great. In keeping with the the tropes and stuff, the 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 fog and sort of the tightness of the of the shots, and that you're mostly inside a bunch of rooms. Uh, keep it sort of claustrophobic, but not noticeably so. But just enough that you sort of you feel like you're you're locked in the house with them for the yes. weekend. Um, yeah, but, but that's what I have written here in my notes. Is for a lot of us, uh, Alec Guinness is to be taken seriously or as seriously as he can be Obi Wan Kenobi. But um, the blind butler's—he's not so much painted for cheap laughs. He's everyone in this is painted for cheap laughs. Yeah, but he seems to be. Sort of like a pig in shit in this. He's, 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 it's like we've said with so many of these two. Everyone is enjoying what they're doing and they're in it, they're into it, and they're having fun, and we're having fun watching it. You can tell he's having fun with what it is that he's doing. Because it's probably nothing for him. It's probably nothing that he's done before. That's, also that's true. the other thing. You know, it's just, you, from what I know of him and what he's done, he was probably having a blast doing this. Taking film. a different turn. In oh, absolutely. Comedic, yeah. Um, there's a bit of trivia during, uh, in between takes of this, uh, I think it was Neil Simon said he saw um, Alec Guinness off set or just, just off to the side of set uh, reading a script that he'd gotten sent to him and it was Star Wars. He was, <laughs> I heard about that too. <laughs> which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah, that is kind of cool. That is connects all the dots of, hey... I can't remember who was originally supposed to be um, cast as Lionel Twain, uh, but it wasn't Truman Capote. No, it was not initially. And when they someone found out it was Truman Capote, they kind of wished the film good luck because Truman Capote is not known for his acting. No, and he he scared me a little bit. Well, he's disturbing. He's, he's kind of he, weird. He did, yeah. He just plays it. He just plays it weird. Um, but he plays that weird well, but it's... Now it's not scary. It's... Uh, say cute. It's unsettling, initially. Yeah, which is, I think, I think what he's supposed to be doing, and he's just doing he's it... He's very in, eccentric. Yeah. Yeah. He's doing it the way Truman Capote would do it. He's playing Truman Capote, whose name in this movie happens to be Lionel Twain. <laughs> Who lives at two. I doubt Twain. he's playing much of anything other than himself. But he just plays himself well. Would you, if you recast this movie and Philip Seymour Hoffman was still alive, would you have him play? I could totally let him. Yeah. Okay. How about, I'll put you this way. What doesn't work? That's what. Thank you, because I was starting to I was floundering over here, because um, my notes are all over the damn place on this one. What doesn't work? I mean. Yeah. That's for what it, it that's, is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm and you know me. Yeah. You yeah, know I mean, me. You for, you'll, if you find some. If you see something, you'll mention it, regardless yeah. of whether or not you like the movie or not. You're like, yeah, well, this could have been cut down, or this or that. But I make, I put, I make the pacing of this film is perfect. It clocks in at about 94 minutes. The film doesn't waste any time and doesn't stretch on for too long anywhere that I've noticed. Going back and revisiting since I'd seen this so many times before as a kid, 
Like what doesn't work? This question is irrelevant. Everything works. The dialogue is sharp and witty, requiring multiple viewings, especially at different ages, because oh, yeah. you won't may not get a joke on one level, but add five years and watch it again, and you're like, oh, <clears throat> what is said in passing by a character when viewing the film as a kid may reveal to be much more humorous as an adult, and that in itself is just good writing. You mentioned the the weird the lighting that kind of dates it in the middle, but yeah, I like. I, there's really nothing that doesn't work. I like that his movies feel like stage, yes, productions that are being filmed. I, and I, that's a nice thing that you don't see a lot of anymore. I like the little cut back and forth scenes. It's, it's yeah, it's played here until it's done. Yeah, and then it moves on yeah. to another location. Yeah, which to complete that scene. Yeah, which is I think. Just accidental. It's the nature of having a playwright doing a screenplay. Right. But it's it, it it's you know it's like a precursor. It's like a prototype to Clue, really, because if you think about Clue, Clue is a board game. And they take place in different rooms, and that's how this feels. Right. Um. I think by accident more than design, but um. There's so many twists and stuff in this movie. They're doing it on purpose because of the whole idea of... Yeah. I grew up reading these books, and I hate it when five pages before the end, they introduce a character and a motive that didn't exist anywhere in the previous work. And that's exactly what happens at the end of the film. Everyone comes to their own conclusion, which is right, but it's also just one of several different... Yeah. Resolution. So, a real quick, if you're not familiar with this movie, these five great detectives are invited to this house for the weekend for dinner and a murder. There's a bet, I believe, of a million dollars? Something like that. Yeah. And uh, Twain ends up being, he, he's killed. He, he shows up, uh, the host is killed, stabbed in the back. So then they're trying to sort out who did it. Um, the butler ends up dead as well, naked. <laughs> <laughs> First the butler ends up dead. Then he ends up without his clothes on, and then another group of people leave the dining room to go investigate additionally, and now they just find the clothes and no butler. And no butler. <laughs> um, there's I cannot remember the TV show she was in, but she's the deaf mute <laughs> uh, <laughs> sort of maid house yes. house house lady. Her name is Yetta. Um, she, you said you couldn't remember. She was in a TV show, and I don't remember what it was. She, You're right. No, I gotta look that up. She do that because that's gonna kill me. By the end of the movie, and again, if you haven't seen it, pause this or go watch the movie and come back and listen to the end of it. But <laughs> Benson, mom, the butler is Twain, who is the house lady, the deaf house lady, who is actually Twain, but actually it's 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 the butler, right? Right. Anyway. <laughs> she uh, was in Rhoda? She was in True Colors? Maybe that was it. Is that like a black and white family mixed together? 80s? It sure is. Yeah, that's what it was. Where were we? A fun bit of trivia for this is that Eileen Brennan, she plays Sam Spade's Girl Friday in this and she's also in Clue she's also in Clue <laughs> but she's also in the sequel to this did you know there's a sequel to this I did not know until I was reading up on this as well what's it called <sighs> something detective the good de- a spawn uh, a spawn sequel of sorts uh, the cheap detective which failed in several areas most of which is being not funny um, <laughs> I tried to I tried to put it on my Netflix queue to rent you can rent it on Amazon which is what I did and I made myself sit through it and it's, you immediately regretted it's not a, it's not a sequel in any way um, other than it's just the same screenwriter and couple characters and, and some tired tropes and what are you drinking high life oh what's the high life oh what's the high life for me hey oh here's a, something you may not have known what you got did you know that Charles Adams drew the art and caricatures? I did. I did know that actually. See, I didn't know that. I thought that was Charles Adams. For for those not initiated, is the fella responsible for creating the Adams Family. Uh, in the comic strip. The com- Well, the, the right. And the, yeah, the, they were like a, the, the Adams Family cartoons in the New Yorker in the '30s. They were like one-off, like the Family Circus, but dark. Oh, okay. Um, no. 
And sometimes they were Adam's family, and sometimes they were just surreal, sort of darkly flavored things. Just like this movie, a surreal, darkly flavored thing. thing. Well, and I mean, I'm, I'm going to go off script here for a second. Do it. We specifically were trying to come up with the title of each episode for each episode while broadcast <coughs> while recording the episode and and unfortunately we did not come up with the title of the episode for our uh, American Werewolf in London and Silver Bullet until after the mics were off and we were collecting all of the putting everything together and we were done recording for the day and <laughs> I said hey we need to call it an American black bear in Tarker's Mill. And you're like, oh, that's perfect. And you wrote it down. I'm like, damn it, I wish we were still recording when I had said that. <laughs> so when you come across the, uh, what, third episode most likely of this season? Yes, episode yeah, three. Yeah. Uh, you'll find out the story for the title of the episode in episode six. So <laughs> stay tuned. Yeah. Yeah, so oh, it's, a, it's a series of like, it's like a Russian nesting doll reveal of who... Uh, so the, the twist goes like this. Benson, yeah, Benson, mom is Lionel Twain. Um, is he's actually Twain's attorney who killed Twain? Okay, but he's actually an accountant. But is actually Twain's daughter. But he's actually Sam Diamond. But not at all. It was Twain all along. But Twain is Yetta, the housemaid. <laughs> so it's meant to be. It's meant to be stupid and, and bombastically. Ridiculous. Ridiculous, yeah. Um, not to cut it off too short, but do you have a, well, do you have a favorite quote? <laughs> uh, yeah. My favorite line or piece of dialogue. When I was a kid, every line spoken by Cindy Wang was comedy gold for me because of the missing pronouns. Absolutely. Specifically. It says, as I've grown older, they still ring true, but Twain's ongoing frustration with Wang's speech is still classic. As Wang goes, uh, what meaning of this, Mr. Twain? I will tell you, Mr. Wang, if you can tell me why a man who possesses one of the most brilliant minds of this century can't say his prepositions or articles. What is the, Mr. Wang, what is the meaning of this? That what I said. What meaning of this? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and then if I remove it, it says, however, if I had to choose something that wasn't Wang-related. <laughs> <All right, that laughs> <one. laughs> it's probably the interaction between all of the detectives realizing that they had some sort of motive for killing Lionel Twain. When I was a kid, I never really picked up on the fact that Sam Diamond was being outed by his assistant as a closet homosexual. It's like, Twain picked up Sam in a gay bar. I was working on a case, working, every night for six months. The best part for that of that line for me is at the end when he walks up past her and he goes, you bitch. bitch. <laughs> Very catty. Uh, my favorite is actually a Peter Falk line. It's at the end of the movie when they're, they're driving off. And I don't remember Eileen Brennan character's name, but they're trying to pull the old, you know how to whistle, don't you? And she, <laughs> forget it. He goes. She she botches it, and yes. she like he's trying to be playful. And I don't remember the quote other than you know, you know how to whistle, don't you, baby? And she goes, No, Sam, I don't. You know what? You blew it. Just forget it. Just, Just forget you it. Blew it. <laughs> you blew it. <laughs> that's probably my favorite. All right. Other than Twain's incredulity at his <laughs> his missing pronouns, that drives me crazy. If you could make one change to the film, what would it be? I have something. If you don't, I I really don't. It's, this is and for the most part, I initially would. I'm like highly unlikely I would make any change in the film. <clears throat> Every scene has purpose, but as a young boy, even with the type of comedy it was, the one scene that always baffled and infuriated me was the fact that James Sir Benson Mum. It's a mouthful when you say it like that. Benson. The blind butler. Licks and places five stamps on the desk rather than the envelopes. Well, because he's blind. And then he mails them out. 
While it's humorous, it always made me scratch my head. I understand the type of film we're watching and how ridiculous it is, but how on earth did these five detectives ever get invitations to dinner and a murder if the stamps were never adhered to the envelopes? It's quite silly because the entire film is silly, but this one part of the film always bothered me when I was a kid. (laughs) I hadn't thought of that. (laughs) I mean, I get the humor in the fact, yes, we get it. It's funny. He's blind. I, I don't really think I would change. I, I can't think of anything. <laughs> okay. I can't wait to listen to the music of this to put it to this episode. Well, I gotta find it first um, because that's... If I have to, I will I will pull it off the DVD. Um, <laughs> my final thoughts of this movie are uh, like a lot of these movies. It's it's a nostalgia trip and. It is a nostalgia trip for me too, because it still it still holds up. It still hits all of the notes. It hits all of those buttons perfectly. Still, it's and I hadn't watched it in probably a few years, and I'm so glad that at some point in time we talked about putting these two together. Going, yeah. oh man, I haven't watched that in forever. And, I put and we it in very and it's just we very easily could have done time traveling back to being eight. Yeah, way, you know. <laughs> We very I, I I found my copy of this on DVD at Kroger, uh, three or four years ago. How funny! Yeah, and as soon as I saw it, I snatched it up. Um, we very easily could have swapped this movie out with, or not swapped it out. We could have swapped it out with Haunted Honeymoon, or we could have paired it with Haunted Haunted right. Honeymoon as well. It's got very much the same feel. Haunted Honeymoon's a little, little darker, but. Um, yeah, nothing but fond memories for this movie. Everybody. Goes for the role, plays the role well. They're clearly having fun doing it. Yeah, uh, nothing I but know. love. Nothing but love for this movie. Does the, uh, my <clears throat> I got here is does it still hold up? In final thoughts, is this for a film that was released in 1976? It still feels quite timeless to me. Being a semi yet non specific period piece, you aren't then subjected to the clothes and fashions of '76. It's supposed to be early 20th century. So this film seemingly taking place in the 1940s is believable. However, as I feel like this will be an ongoing topic that will be often addressed throughout our podcast with other movies we have we have uh, slated to review, you could not make this type of movie today in today's political climate. Absolutely not. But uh, <clears throat> my final thoughts were, whether it's the ethnic stereotyping, specifically the casting of... A Caucasian in the role of an Asian. This this uh, this this uh, this satir- man. Stereotypical. No, satirical. <laughs> Close. <laughs> Thanks. The satirical subject matter of character types are much less relevant now than they were just forty some years ago. Or even releasing a parody comedy that's very much PG in nature. This film would be something rarely seen today. Studios nowadays seem to be more focused on keeping things as PC as possible. They're wanting a product to sell to the consumer, and the less marketable it is, the less likely it is to make them money. If someone presented a studio with a film like this today, and by by a miracle it was actually greenlit, the executive in charge would push the creative team involved for the film to be just edgy enough in its humor and subject matter to obtain a PG-13 rating while still hoping to strike comedy gold and plenty of tickets at the box office. Also, it's funny, but it's not dirty enough. Right. It's like, like you two can... signs of a coin of, well, it, we can't offend anybody, but it's got to be dirty. Yeah. But not dirty enough to make it R. That's why this film could not be made. Today. And that's why this is the kind of stuff I still watch. I I, I really wanted to do these two because I I, I yeah. very much um, have a soft spot for uh, Murder by Death and its counterpart, which we're going to talk about next uh, in just a moment, which is Clue. So we'll take a quick break and uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back. Every person in this room has the perfect motive. Stand back! For murder. What do you mean? Murder. But only one of these suspects is the murderer. Is it the timid Mr. Green? Why are you screaming? Because I'm right out one! Screaming! Or the militant Colonel Mustard? Oh, 
I was the killer, I would kill you next. Huh? Said half. Half. Mrs. White, who helped her husband on his way. What's well, a matter of life after death? Now that he's dead, I have a life. Ah! Miss Scarlet, who's helped many men along the way. Practice makes perfect. Huh. Professor Plum, who's looking for a way. I'm looking, I'm looking. Mrs. Peacock. I have absolutely no idea what we're doing here, but I am determined to enjoy myself. Or did the butler do it? No. 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 Paramount Pictures invites you to an evening of mystery. Let us in, let us in, let us out, let us out. Murder. This is getting quite serious. And madness. <laughs> in the movie that makes a scene of the crime. Clue, it's not just a game anymore. The second movie of our last episode, maybe? We'll see. We'll see. Um, sort of a latter-day, mid-80s counterpoint to Murder by Death. Remade from the, or made from the popular, is it Parker Brothers? Yes. Whatever video. It was Parker uh, Brothers. I think 14. when I started writing my notes down, I think I put like Milton Bradley. And then after all of that, I went back and looked and it said Parker Brothers. And like the cards that show the credits show Parker Brothers. And I'm like, oh! And I had to go in and change all my notes to say Parker Brothers rather than Milton Bradley. Not that it matters because I don't really reference that specifically. So from the jump, um, it immediately feels bigger in scope than Murder by Death. They're. There's far more exteriors and yes. through the use of matte paintings, but they're just... just you, it doesn't feel like a set specifically and purposefully as much as it does with Murder by Death. Right. Murder by Death, you could tell everything is... Even when it's outside, it's still inside yeah. because it's nighttime and it feels like classic Hollywood... I'm on a studio lot, right in the back of wherever shooting. Nighttime. Where, where's the fog machine? You know, you, yeah. you know. I mean, and lo and behold, when they are leaving in the end of Murder by Death, yeah, look, everything. This was it popped. There's a fog. There's, machine. there's a fog machine. You know, I mean, so I mean, it gives that illusion, and it does it right the first time. This one feels much bigger in that. And stuff. it does it. A clue. Uh, by the way, I'm still sticking with my classic lounge drink of uh, neat bourbon. You are on what now? Uh, summer ale. Some air summer ale. Okay. Um, this is a... yeah, what do I have here? Again, uh, bear with me on my notes as I try to go through my just the earlier note. The yeah, early notes. the earlier notes where I just barf onto the page instead of <laughs> this is Travis's early note session. Where it's just a it's like a journal entry about this movie. Dear diary, today I've watched Clue. Clue. It was the. <laughs> Best. So, I guess a basic, the plot of the movie oh, is... No. It's you, this, I mean, I got it right here, and it's pretty easy. Yeah, go for it. It's the same thing. <laughs> Based on the world-famous Parker Brothers game, Clue, <coughs> Clue brings to life the six pivotal board game characters of Professor Plum, Mrs. Peacock, Miss uh, Scarlet, Colonel Mustard, Mrs. White and Mr. Green. The setting is 1954, and they've all been invited to a dinner party located at a secluded mansion in New England. Hill House. Right. Hill House. Uh, joining the iconic characters are Wadsworth, the butler, and Yvette, the maid, among others. Little do they know that the guests all have been <coughs> all have one thing in common. They're all being blackmailed by the host, Mr. Body. And then someone kills him. Yeah. All right, who done it? Um, uh, my first note when we started watching this, I know I had seen it at least one time before. I couldn't recall when the last time was. I did not grow up watching this one for some reason. Yeah. I don't know why. I just didn't. But the first, my first note when we started watching this was, I never cared that much for the Clue board game. The tedious process of elimination drove me crazy. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't know. I never, so this was on Comedy Central one day. I believe on a snow day, like I, we didn't have school because snow. So like 20, snow. 20, 20, 20 odd years ago. And I hadn't really um, seen it. I'd known of it, but I never, never watched it. So I, I, I watched it and I was like instantly in love with, I just, I like quirky, not too serious stuff, I guess. Um, I had no idea until I put this on that it had been so long. 
when I started watching the credits and the story was by John Landis. Yeah, yeah. And I had no idea. It sort of feels like that that, now, knowing it. It has that flavor. Yeah. It doesn't have his total signature, but it has just a little seasoning here and there that kind of makes it kind of his, I guess. I, I can't put my finger on what that is. I don't know. There's just something about an 80s movie that if he was involved, it very much has that. I mean, you watch Blues Brothers, you watch... It's a je ne sais quoi, yeah. as they say. Um, yeah, and I'd never played the game until about 10 or 15 years ago. And I love I love the game. I like a whodunit. And I like I like sorting out stuff like that. So we might, we might be in disagreeance on this, but... Um, each character arrives and is introduced as well, first we meet Wadsworth and then each character is introduced and they rehash the same poop joke. Uh, I think each time someone arrives because there's two, the, the two German shepherds uh, guarding oh. the front door, Wadsworth steps in shit. And then <laughs> at least Mr. Green steps in shit and someone else smells it on someone else. So they, they, they trot the same poop joke out. <laughs> At least twice, if not. They retread. They retread the same poop joke. Yeah. <laughs> poop joke. Um, it's revealed over dinner, like you said in your synopsis, that everyone uh, has some connection. Black. They're being blackmailed. By well, that's that's later. But they they all they all sort of work in and around Washington, DC, or they work yeah, with DC, the government. Right. Yeah. In the case of um, was it Professor Plum, played by Christopher Lloyd? He works for the, uh, <laughs> and I did not. I did not put this together until I watched the movie this last time. Um, Professor Plum works for the United Nations organization, and uh, more specifically, the World Health Organization. Which, if you abbreviate those, it's what is it? You know who? Or, <laughs> and I was sort of ashamed of myself for not having gotten that until I was thirty-six years old. Well, you know what? Uh, I. Didn't get it till just I'm, now. I'm 41, and I didn't read about it until a couple of weeks. Yeah. Ago. So then, Mr. Body turns up. It's quickly revealed that he's blackmailing all of them for various. It's quickly revealed how horrible an actor this guy is because he's not an actor. He's like in a punk band he's, or something, right? I think he does okay for the Look, for man. playing the Mac- uh, Mr. MacGuffin in Clue. I get he's it. Sort of. I can't remember the. You do realize why he was picked? I remember something, but I. Tell me why. Um, I can't remember what it is. I wrote it down. Leaving. His name is Leaving. And yeah, Mr. Body leaving. is leaving. He's leaving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's great. I'm slapping your knee. I get it. And it's <laughs> stupid at the same time. Because it's like, hey, your name is amazing. I know it just, it's it works. It feels, so Clue feels a little more dry and deli- like more to the point sort of than... Um, than Murder by Death. It's not so much about driving, learning about these characters. It's neither really is Murder by Death, but it's... I feel like the pieces in Murder by Death drop in perfectly. Yes. While these ones sometimes feel like they're <clears throat> being forced in, in their specific spot. Yeah. Like, especially in regards to who's blackmailing them and who ends up the first dead body. That just felt so forced to me. It was just kind of like, really? I mean, I know what I'm getting into when I go to watch this, but it's just, I don't know. It just, it felt like it could have been better. I feel like it could have, they could have tried a little harder, but that's me. And that's me watching it for the first time. In several years. In many, many years. Like I said, I think I saw it once before, maybe 10 to 15 years ago. Prior to that, I hadn't seen it before. The The cover of the DVD or the cover of the VHS at the time made it look more serious than it was. That's and, true. And I just never watched it. But it was on Comedy Central. And back in the mid-90s, I would give anything a pass on Comedy Central. And <laughs> Whether I, I, it was. And I, I watched it. Was it was the John Landis horror film that... Also was kind of funny. Yeah. Called American Werewolf in London, which we talked about before. Or Clue. Or, or which Clue, is which very is funny. a very funny. Um, but I thought it was fitting that as I watched it and took my notes, I was home from work on a rain day. Oh, okay. I work outside for a living, if, if any of you don't know. And uh, if it rains too too badly, I don't work. But I think that's the perfect way to file this movie. Don't make time to watch it. Watch this movie when you've got an unexpected day indoors due to 
don't seek it out on purpose is what you're well, saying. I mean, if you have if you've never seen it, yeah, seek it out on purpose. But if other than that, it's a great it's a great rainy day sort of or I can see that kills some time. And just yeah, it's yeah. it's have an old friend over for uh, for drinks or whatever. It's 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 kind of one of those. All so, I know is leaving was the weakest link. Goodbye. I don't think he was. I'd still if okay if leaving wasn't the weakest link, who was? I don't I don't know that there it's was. It's not a, as good as Murder by Death. Well, no, but, no, the writing isn't there. Right, but it just it the, just the banter like, the banter back and forth is a little more ABC sitcom than it is clever and witty. Okay. It's more like an All episode right. of Full House and an episode oh. of Arrested Development. Which brings me to... Boy, an that interesting... is a stark comparison. <laughs> which That's me... really insulting Clue more than it needs to be insulted. <laughs> <laughs> There's an interesting... A um, couple interesting bits of trivia, actually. Did you watch the new season of Arrested Development when it came out? I don't want to talk about it. Okay. Because we, we've discussed this. In- and we, we won't talk about it anything other than this. There's a couple of different scenes where people are seen eating um, uh, a handful of Parmesan cheese with some mustard. Do you have any kind of idea what that joke is? Why they're doing that? In Arrested Development? Mm-hmm. No. Season four? Because the same person, Martin Mull, plays private detective Gene Parmesan. <laughs> and in this movie, he plays Colonel Mustard. It was a completely... Complete homage. throwaway joke to like Parmesan and mustard, and they're eating. Check it out. It's a no, thing. I, really I, I, I never I noticed get, it because I watched season four of Arrested Development one time. The fact that I would have to go back and see it. There's an article about it. Do that. Okay. That's. I'll read some. It's an article about like super hidden jokes. Um, the other bit of trivia: Carrie Fisher was originally supposed to be cast as the in the role of Miss Scarlet. Uh, but she went into rehab four days before the filming of this movie. Um, and Leslie Ann Warren was a last-minute choice, and I think does a, does a great job. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> in several ways. She does a fantastic job. She plays the part well. She uh, fills that dress out very nicely. In my opinion, she was a better choice than Carrie Fisher. Carrie Fisher would have played it to Princess Leia. And it was 1985, so I think it would still have been a little too close to Star Wars. She would have played it to Princess Leia. I don't think she would have played it Princess Leia because she's a professional, but I just she just always is standoffish a little bit. Like her her character in The Burbs, Carol, she's always just she's more of a domineering. She fills that role. Yeah, but I don't like her. Perfectly. I don't like her in it. I don't like her in the burbs. No, she's like, she's a bitch. I guess it's the short way around to say it. Like, damn, just let him sit in the backyard. What am I doing, Carol? I'm acting like a man on vacation. I'm wearing pajamas. He just wants a week off. We need to do a, we need to do. Drink a couple of hundred beers. Smoking a cake with a cigar. cigar. Outside. Yeah. He's henpecked. And that's how she would, that's what she would have brought to this movie. I do have, if it says anything, I love Carrie Fisher. I have her freaking tattooed on my arm and it turns out that everyone has um motive to kill him which um leads me to my favorite line of the movie which is you were jealous that your husband was stopping her that that's why you killed him too yes yes i did it i killed yvette i hated her so much it, it, the, it, flame, flames, flames on the side of my face, breathing, breath, heaving breath. <laughs> I purposely dropped that in because I can't remember that, and nor could I have delivered it as perfectly as Madeline Kahn did. Do you have a favorite line this movie? Uh, what did I put here? <laughs> There's a, di- a piece of dialogue that went back and forth between Wadsworth and Colonel Mustard. He's like, Colonel Mustard goes, Wadsworth, I'm right in thinking there's nothing else in this house. Um, no. Then there is something else in this house. Sorry, I said no, meaning yes. No meaning yes? Look, I want a straight answer. Is there someone else? Or isn't there? Yes or no? No. No there is or no there isn't? Yes. (laughs) I mean... That was I, that that line almost defines this movie. <laughs> Confusing as shit. Yeah, that who, but funny. 
Regardless. That sort of who's <laughs> on first sort of mentality. Right. Of, yeah. I mean, we're burning through these plot point or these uh, these 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 format points quickly, but uh, because I have a whole I have a whole thing here to get to. Oh, look, my my initial notes were two things specifically that stood out. I forgot how much, like how charming and witty Tim Curry can be when he's in the right role. Oh yeah, I can't recall the last movie I saw him in specifically, like like whether it was old or new. It's just been a while since I popped in something and went, oh, it's Tim Curry. Yeah. I thought about Tim Curry last weekend or whatever it was when I saw Annie and it made me think of Rooster and the movie Annie because he was in Annie. But it's like there are things that it's like I can't remember the last thing I put in or selected to watch that had Tim Curry in it. I'm like, ah, I really like him when he's in stuff. I just have to seek it out right. because I forget how good he can be. But it's like the other note was is that the film falls flat in certain places and quite honestly seems to take forever to get going. But with the all-star cast, it's Tim Curry's the one who steals the show, in my opinion, more than anybody else. Oh, absolutely. He's he's the glue that holds all the other characters together. And well, even he's... clocking in at 94 minutes, it the movie still feels like it's 15 minutes longer than it should be. Those were the notes that I put down when I was watching it. Even at just a hair over an hour and a half. Yeah. That, let me reenact, follow me, I'm going to run around the house again. What's the whole third act? Oh. Or the endings? That drug on so much. It gets... <sighs> that drove me so that was crazy. So that was supposed to be... That drives me crazy! That was supposed to be... Uh, that was a very cool and ballsy. Who was it? Paramount that did this. Uh, I think so. Yes. Uh, a very cool and ballsy thing they did, allowing three different endings. There were originally four. Um, uh, the original uh, one draft, or rather, had uh, had an ending for each character, and it was deemed too long. Um, and a fourth ending was filmed, uh, but was darker and only survives in the novelization. And movie storybook, which makes me want to check that out. And the the uh, the fourth ending that survives in, in print uh, involved Wadsworth killing everyone. Oh, I think I read <laughs> something about that. That's kind of funny. Which, <laughs> Tim Curry could have played that. Yeah, because he can go from that weird Grinch face that he has, right, to straight dark and sinister, like he did in It, uh, and straight up malevolence. Mm-hmm. And I could I could have played very well. Um, I would love to see that. Which, while we're at it, that would be my magic wand. I would love to see the Wadsworth kills everybody, and just leaves them, leaves their bodies rotting in this mansion somewhere in New England in the mid fifties. Um, but the big three endings, um, I, I didn't get to see this as a kid because I, I just didn't. Um, but what they did was. Theaters had the A ending, the B ending, or the C ending, and I think that is brilliant. I think that's great. I think, I think that's, that's so a, cool. Well, it's like, still, I still you think, it's think cool. about studios going, which ending do we give, or which one are we showing? Because I think even when people would look it up in the paper, like the actual newspaper in '85, that's when you were. I don't want to go see a movie rather than calling the theater to get the times. Right, they would read off too quickly, or you would open up whatever section. And find the movie you want to play, and you would look to see some theaters would actually state if they were showing Clue and which ending they would show. Is it ending A, B, or C? And I was like, Did you see it in the theater? I didn't see it in the theater, but I thought Man. that concept was is brilliant. Oh, it's awesome because that that you would think would market people if it really did well and people liked the movie in the first place. That you were like, I want to see, I want to go and see if I can see ending. B or A, and I, I went and I saw C. I wanted to see how they ended this way. That's I don't a know novel if, concept. I don't know how they marketed that. I don't know how well this did in the theater. But oh, it did I don't terribly. Think, I didn't think it did do. It's that like great. I, as I've learned about myself doing this podcast for the very short time we've been doing it, I like a lot of what are considered cult movies or bad movies. Bad movies, yeah. yeah. Um, or initially seen as bad. Yeah. But I guess that would be considered sometimes cult, This movie it just doesn't do great. 
like regains a surge a surge in popularity through like home video rentals and things like that. Um, this movie does have heart. It's a little clunky, maybe. Yeah. In some spots, but it's got it's got heart and it meant well, and that's part of that is due to the. I don't know if they did the three endings because they were not ne- not necessarily trying to be artistic, but they did the three different endings because it would be fun, or if they did the three different endings because they wanted you to see the movie three times. And it would have to be significant enough in each of those endings for me to care. <laughs> um, if they went, if they went, if they went about the three endings as a as a monetary thing to get you to see the movie three times, then they got what they deserved in the movie not doing well. But if they did it as sort of uh, just a, a gag, a fun gag, an artistic sort of a low end artistic thing, then it's taken a lot of time. But I think it finally kind of came home to roost and it's found a new sort of audience of people like me that came to it later later well i do find it funny that like when you have the dvd or whatever it'll actually state you can choose yeah and it'll pick a random ending and then it'll end or you can do the home theatrical which is all of them and it just gives you a then b then c i do that one every time yeah, I do that one every time as well. And when I watched it like that, it was like, mm, ending B is the weakest. I think the Mrs. Peacock death for some reason, the Mrs. Pe- uh, Mrs. Peacock being the murderer, for some reason it just felt like it was the weakest out of all of them. I could see Miss Scarlet, but Mrs. Peacock felt just, I don't know, it just didn't feel fleshed out enough. It just didn't feel believable enough. And I that's just. I like the Wadsworth ending. Yeah, the, not the, that, the, that, the filmed one. The C, the, yeah, the, the last C, yeah. one, which kind of reels them all in as all but Mr. Green, who was the closet homosexual. Well, he wasn't closet, but he was, um, I'm going to go home and sleep with my wife. <laughs> Here's, uh, so the, the alternate endings, it sort of actually spoiled the experience um, for, for moviegoers, which was the point Gene Siskel made. Um and he and Roger Ebert both chose ending A, and they hated ending C, which is the one I like. I think ending C is the most... C works better. A is it's all the, right. It's the most B, airtight. in my opinion, was the, is the worst. <laughs> they both recommended not seeing the movie at all, actually. <laughs> we recommend ending <laughs> Don't Go See It. Um, That's funny. I didn't know that. Yeah. I, 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 try to not, I try to not take other people's opinions. Right. But I was, again, this is the second of the... 12 movies we've watched for this and I was still trying to get my legs so I, I just was trying to learn how to review movies if you could make one change to the film what would it be man that that's why I have a legitimate one and it's very would, simple and it's mine would be it's like three words mine would be the D ending and that's super dark Wadsworth kills everyone and, and goes off into the rainy night three words recast Mr. Body. <laughs> Who would you have play him? I have Tim no. Curry again. Tim Curry and Tim Curry. <laughs> yes, twin brothers. I mean, stranger things have happened. It could work. I would make it work. It could have been kind of cool. They're, what? You're twins? It would have added another layer yes. to that onion. No, we're not <laughs> twins. It, yeah, I mean, God, does it still hold up? I'm like coming from this as a first time viewer because when I watched it, it didn't seem familiar at all. If I had seen it before, it had been so long, I couldn't recall it. And it's like, coming from this as a first-time viewer, I can't necessarily say from a, from a nostalgic standpoint of whether it holds up from previous viewings. Nothing in the film feels overly dated. Again, like with Murder by Death and being a period piece, this helps prevent the film from showing its age. If the film had been made today, it would be a hard R. It would be raunchy, foul-mouthed, and rather gruesome. That would be my thought process on if it held up or how it would be affected if it was released 30 years later. This one's a hard to say if it holds up because it's so, I won't say dated, but it's... Have you ever followed a cooking recipe to the T and when the final dish is ready to eat, you take your first bite and feel like there's something missing, but you just can't place it? That's what I felt like watching this film. Something was off, just a little bit of extra seasoning somewhere, but I couldn't quite place what I would add to it. It just felt... Underheated. Right. Like it didn't cook 
long enough. Right. But it's like Clue was perfectly cast and well-crafted, yet it still couldn't hit the landing. Maybe it was the script which could have benefited with a rewrite by someone more suitable for the job. A better comedic writer of that era, and trust me, there were plenty around at that time. Just think about 85 and who wrote like some of the best comedies, that type of movie. Even if you just go like, you know, imagine if the script had been handed over to... Um, Harold Ramis. Oh, it would have been. Imagine if it had been handed over, like to Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd or Jim Abrams, David Zucker, and Jerry Zucker from like Airplane. It would not be. It would not be as good as it is. Maybe I don't know. Or even if it was handed over to like Mel Brooks, rewrite this. See what you could do with it. Yeah, it's possible. It, they all it would. Is, have, they would have been probably equally as funny in their way, but in a totally different way but it's like would it be any better maybe would it have been any worse probably not no I don't think it would have been any worse maybe I you know maybe I'm spoiled by Neil Simon's ability to write better dialogue and you know and also by watching Murder by Death first (laughs) (laughs) I think that's where it got me is I watched Murder by Death first and then I watched this and went you can see where the where everything was Executed perfectly with Murder by Death, where it just didn't hit as solidly on for its mark. Whatever for reason, yeah. Um, and the last thing was is rather than turning it up to eleven, it feels like they turned it down to seven. Instead of getting Clint Eastwood in like Gran Torino, you got him in like El Camino. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, as far as my opinion, if it still if it still holds up. I think in its original inception, it might have been what is considered a, quote, failure. But the cult status it has, uh, that's whatever that is, I don't, I don't follow the, the clue. You don't get the cult newsletter? Yeah, I don't get the cult newsletter. But whatever that cult status is, there's, a, there's a, a group of people that still like it and keep it alive. And I think, I won't say that makes it a pillar of cinema, but it makes it a, a pillar or maybe even a, a visage on a pillar of cult cinema. And... As far as as far as that goes, I think it still holds up, and I like ending C, only because maybe not only because, but partially because you can say the butler did it. I think it's pretty obvious. I love Clue. I don't have too much else to add. Um, I'd like to see the whodunit genre come back. Um, it's the only thing Hollywood hasn't redone and then redone and then rebooted and then redone. And well, made maybe that's sequels. good that they didn't. It is good sometimes because dead sometimes is dead is better than resurrected Frankenstein pieces of crap. Yep, I can go back and watch Clue. And I can go back and watch Murder by Death. I can watch Haunted Honeymoon. And there's a whole little slew of those that came out between the early mid '70s and the, and the early mid '80s. And you can going through IMDb, you can find out. You can find out some of them, and they're fun to watch, and they they're great. They're great hidden little gems, and Hollywood hasn't shat all over them and and regurgitated them back out, and and in effect ruined them. And it's like you said, leaving it alone and just visiting something new, yeah, or just yeah, or go go back and watch this because it's great, or go do something new, yeah, which Hollywood doesn't like to do. Those are my final. Yours? Uh, those were my final thoughts already. <laughs> Boom. Boom. So I have I don't have any more final final thoughts at this moment. Are we gonna do If we, we what are we gonna do if we're gonna do one more? Yeah. Let's do this. Let's uh, let's put out a, a list here of maybe three possibles and let the people listening tell us which one they want us to do. Yeah, let's take a let's take a short break here. No, that's enough. We're not going to listen to that again. You oh. savage. <laughs> All right. So. You don't want to hear the Coupe de Ville anymore? No. no. Seven seconds was long enough or whatever. It's it was. enough for a music bump. For, it's enough for a music bump to allow you real time uh, potty break. Uh, and to not mess up the flow of our podcast <laughs> for the second time in the in the six episodes we've done. Look. So we're we're here real quick, but real just buzzed a little bit <laughs> to um, give you the option of a, of a seventh episode this season, and you have total input as to what two movies um, we watch 
uh, make notations on and then review for uh, your pleasure, uh, the both of you. The um, the option that Nathan and I both agreed on um, is we will both gladly review our favorite movies, his favorite movie and my favorite movie. We're not going to tell you what those are. You are just on your face to trust that those movies are worthy of sort of hearing us talk about for an hour or so. Um, or do you want to hear our opinions on... <laughs> which is the two you want to watch? The, the two movies that I want to watch, which are Phantom of the Paradise and Rocky Horror Picture Show. That's Travis. That's me. Those are my two picks for movies that I want to watch and compare. Um, for several reasons. I love the movies, and Nathan absolutely said, Fuck no, I don't want to watch those two goddamn movies. Uh, those are my two picks. Nathan, what are yours? <laughs> Uh, I picked two, and it's going to be Summer School and Fast Times at Ridgemont High. <laughs> <laughs> Both valid choices as well. So there you have it. You get a vote. Um, we'll give you a, a week from today, uh, which is the airing of this podcast. Total number wins. Uh, if not, we'll be back in, I don't know, a month or so, and with a whole new slew of movies to drink and think and talk about. Until then, I'm Travis. I'm Nathan. And by the way, uh, if you want to send us an email, we don't have Twitter or Facebook initially set up yet. So if you want to send us an email, you can send us an email for the vote. You can send it to sixpack.doublefeature at gmail.com. That's S-I-X, sixpack, S-I-X-F-E-A-T-U-R-E. Don't ask me to spell when I'm buzzed, dot... <laughs> <laughs> so it's sixpack.doublefeature at gmail.com send the votes to us we can tally them up we'll set them up to run for a week from the uh, day that this podcast released so we can see all seven votes that we get <laughs> and uh, it's got to be at least an odd number so it can't tie <laughs> yes <laughs> Jesus we'll see you guys next time bye bye